0: Well, amen. Thank you, Pastor Nate. And church, uh, I realize I didn't say this when I was up here. Let me just say on behalf of my family and I, thank you for your support uh, as we go on sabbatical for these two months. We really do appreciate it. And uh, in case you came in late or you're joining us late on, online, my name is Matt. I'm the youth and family pastor here at Cornerstone. And today is graduation Sunday. So we have these awesome graduates here that are uh, moving on in life. And grads, we're so excited to see where God takes you and how he will use you uh, for his glory and for the good of many others. We're very much looking forward to hearing about that. Well, friends, uh, as we begin this morning, let me encourage each and every one of you to dig into that bulletin right away. And perhaps you came across in your bulletin this little sheet of paper. And I'd love for you to look at this. It's up on the screen, but far easier to read uh, if you're looking at it on this piece of paper. So let me encourage you to look at this. And what you're going to find there <clears throat> is an infographic I was put together by a kid's pastor named Josh Denhart. And when he put this together, he did what much of us do when we create something or we construct something nowadays, we post it on social media, right? And we like people to see it. Well, uh, unlike anything he had ever put together before, when he put it on social media, it went viral. For those of you who don't know what viral means, that simply means it's not like a contagious disease or anything, simply means that it was reposted, it was reshared over and over again on all kinds of different social media platforms. And that's how I came across it. One of my friends shared uh, this infographic and it, of course caught my eye and now I'm sharing it with you and perhaps this is something that uh, you'll post on your refrigerator, especially parents who have kids still in the home. This has been an encouragement for my wife and I, uh, but I want you to take a look at this. And I want you to consider, uh, why did this go viral? And when you look at this infographic, I think there's two big reasons why. The first reason is at the top of that. It's the grim statistical reality that faces kids and teenagers who have grown up in the church. According to research, and according to Dan Hart's infographic, three-fourths have or will fall away or disengage or disconnect Not only from the local church, not just from going to church on Sunday mornings, but from what everybody assumed was their relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll fall away from that. And this isn't, unfortunately, this isn't new news for a lot of people. Many of you here in this room, you know that this has been the statistical reality for quite a while, as far as it goes for kids and teenagers who grow up in the church, now, I will tell you, there is a bit of bright news with this. Denhart said in a podcast that's related to this infographic, he said, nowadays, the, the statistics are trending more, uh, they're trending away from 75, 25, and they're more going towards 65, 35. Woohoo! 10%, right? And like he said, I, and I agree, neither is good though, right? When we see this reality as a church, none of us should look at this and smile and go, yes, we're sending our grads out. We can't wait. And then we go, oh, it's kind of scary, isn't it? This is one thing that I'm sure made this go viral. But again, these are not new statistics. But it's the second part of this infographic, the bottom part of this infographic that I believe really made it go viral. It's in fact what made it catch my eye. And it's what Denhart calls the simple things. It's these five practical things that the 25% who said they stayed connected with Christ in the ages of 18 to 29, they said, these five things in my upbringing were the reason why they stayed connected with Christ. It's things like this. Take a look at them. Number one, and these are in no particular order, Hart clarifies. It's like eating dinner five of seven nights a week with their family. Now, some of you are like, that's a modern day miracle. How can we do that? Right? And Denhard is sure to say it is not where you eat dinner as a family, it's that you eat dinner as a family. So if that's at McDonald's in your car together, congratulations, you can count that, okay? Number two, serving with their families in ministry, the keyword with, serving with their families in ministry. Number three, having at least one spiritual experience in the home per week. And that could be praying sometime outside of the dinner table. That could be reading the Bible together, doing a devotional together, perhaps a time of worship together, having a spiritual experience in the home. Number four, being entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. And number five, having one faith-focused adult in their life outside of their parents. And it gets me excited to think that we do something like the Pray For Me campaign around here where many of our teens and our kids are connected to adults here in this church. Many of you who are praying for them daily. And, and, and impacting their lives. And we appreciate that. And our awesome kids leaders and our, and our teen leaders. Now, as we look at those simple things, it's really important that we clarify something that Denhart said in his podcast. These are correlational. They're not causational. So we can't go, well, I'm going to have my kids, my young kids that are seven and under, they're going to do these five things. And my wife and I are going to make sure of that. And then they will for sure automatically walk with Jesus for a lifetime. That's not what Denhart says. He says these are these are correlational. When these these young adults took this survey, they simply said and pointed back to these reasons that they, these are the reasons why they have stayed connected with Christ up to this point. So here's what I want us to do this morning, church, on this grad Sunday. I want us to consider for a moment, with these things in mind, and perhaps there's other things that are circulating in your mind that would be quite important for a young child or a teenager to have in their life in order to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. I want you to consider for a moment this. What if a parent like myself who has young children in the home, or perhaps one of these graduates today that is going to be leaving the nest here fairly soon. Some parents are like, I hope they do. Uh, but but what, what if we had them, or, or maybe we just simply had a new believer who has just come to faith in Christ. And they were to come up to you today, and you would consider yourself what we'll call a seasoned Christian. You've been walking with Jesus for quite a while. And they were to come up to you today, and they were to say, all right, give me one thing. What is the one thing? If you were to give me one thing, considering those five, considering the others, if you were going to give me one thing that is going to help me walk with Jesus for a lifetime, what would that one thing be? What would your answer be? there is one thing these grads could do every day of their life, what would it be so that they would stay connected with Jesus? Because I believe in this room and online, that's what we all want, right? What would your one thing answer be? And as you consider that this morning, I want to encourage all of you to grab a Bible. We're going to be moving into Scripture. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have them in the back of the worship center And feel free to get up and grab one. We are informal around here. And so if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that as a gift from us to you and allow the power of God in the Word of God to change your life. So grab a Bible, and let me encourage you to go to the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament, third book of the New Testament. You'll see Matthew, you'll see Mark, and then you'll see Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 10 today, and we're going to be in verses 38 to 42, And here's what we're going to find as we get there. We're going to be at a home in this village called Bethany. And it's there we're going to find Jesus. And he is going to let us know the one thing that he calls necessary. But in addition to hearing from Jesus what is the one thing, what I want us to be able to do today is through the lens of two sisters, as we watch two sisters, I want us to understand not only what is the one thing, But why is this one thing so necessary? Why do we need this one thing? Okay, so that's where we're going today. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Oh, good job. Students, they do this too. See, it's cool. Good job. All right, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Join me there. Here's what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha, everybody say Martha. Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, everybody say Mary, Mary. who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So friends, before we get to the one thing today, I think it's super important that we take some time looking at each of these two sisters. And where I want to begin today, if you have notes and you're taking them today, it's a good time to get them out. First thing I want us to do is very simple, simple today, is I want us to look at Martha. Martha. I know this, uh, look at Martha. Okay, yeah, look at Martha. I want us to look at Martha, and as you look at Martha today, perhaps you jot down this question, what do I see? Or what does she show me when I look at Martha? And I think, personally, there's kind of a simple answer to that question. Because I believe that as we look at Martha, as we watch Martha, and perhaps you'll agree with me, I think in all of us, There's a lot of us. There's at least a little Martha in all of us. I think when we look at Martha, we see ourselves in many ways on many days, right? I know I do. I know a lot of you in this room are thinking, I'm Martha, I'm not Mary. Some of you in this room, you're thinking I'm more Mary than I am Martha, but I think in all of us, there's at least a little bit of Martha. And if you're like me, there's a lot of Martha. I know I got some Martha friends. You don't need to raise your hand, okay? Only if you're online. Raise your hand. Martha friends, all right? We all have a little bit of Martha in us, but here's what I want to say because I think it's often left unsaid when this passage is preached. That's not a bad thing. It's not all bad. I think we often leave, leave this scripture and go, I'm a Martha, and I need to be more like Mary, and if I'm not like Mary, then I'm just, I'm just no good for Jesus anymore but it's not all bad. In fact, I would argue that there's a lot of good and there's a lot of godly in Martha as we look at her today. Take a look just at verse 38 again. Take a look at verse 38. Why do we even have this scene in the Bible? Why do we even get to study this text this morning? Well, verse 38. A woman named who, church? Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. Who opened the doors to Jesus and to his disciples? Martha. She's the one who welcomed Jesus into her home. And and I also want you to consider the picture that Bible commentator Kent Hughes paints of Martha as well. Just listen as he describes the type of person and servant of Jesus that Martha Martha was. He writes this. He says, when Martha saw Jesus approaching, she likely thought to herself, the master is here. He's probably in need of a good dinner. Perhaps she saw his weariness and her domestic instincts went into action and she lived out the Apostle Paul's dictum before he even thought of it. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, Romans 12, 13. She had the gift of hospitality big time and she used her gift to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms, 1 Peter 4, 10. And then Hughes ends with this summary statement and it's just a a really sweet statement. He says, what a beautiful, nurturing, Soul, she was. Is that the picture we generally paint for Martha after we read this text? Is that how we generally see ourselves if we are a Martha after we read this text? A beautiful, nurturing soul. You see, she's actually a godly example for all of us today. She opens the doors of her home for Jesus and his disciples to come in. But she doesn't just open the doors. She practices hospitality. And in her hospitality, she goes to serve Jesus. And she goes to serve others that are in her home that day. And according to Denhart's infographic, those are the things that lead to lifelong connection with Jesus, right? Serving and being involved in ministry to Jesus and for Jesus. These are the things that lead to lifelong connection with him. The question then I ask is, what went wrong? (laughs) Because something went wrong, right? What's the problem? Why do those of us who are bent more like Martha always leave this passage going, I need to be more like Mary? What was the problem? What went wrong? Well, because just like Martha does, we often allow these things, these things that we see on here to become the one thing. And only the one thing can be the one thing, right? And when the one thing is not the one thing, the result is verse 40, if you want to look at it again with me, where it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Ouch. Jesus, you don't care about me? Would you ever accuse Jesus of that? Don't raise your hand, okay? But she takes it a step further. Tell her then to help me. Now she's commanding her Lord to do something, right? The one thing has been replaced. And perhaps if you're a Martha out there, like I'm a Martha, you've been there more than once. When the one thing has been replaced, our emotions can take over and our, well, we should resp- how we should respond becomes a reaction sometimes, right? Well, it's the natural response when doing for the Lord takes the place of being with the Lord. These are the things that happen when the doing replaces the being, right? I think about when I was in college, and some of these students have heard this before, so excuse me, students, but when I was in college and I was a junior going into my fall semester, I was probably walking with the Lord for about a year, year and a half, And as I entered my junior year of college, I was super amped. I was super excited to get into school, to see my friends, and also be part of ministry. I couldn't wait. And so I had this problem that many of us have. I couldn't say this two-letter word, no. And so I said yes to everything. I was a full-time student, of course. I was working two jobs. I was a custodian and I worked for our study abroad office. On top of that, in a ministry called Crew, I was leading a Bible study in a dorm. I was mentoring or discipling three guys at three separate times of the week. I was being mentored and being discipled by another guy at another time of the week. I was also attending church on Sundays. I was going to a crew weekly, weekly gathering on Thursdays. And on top of that, I was helping lead a special events team for crew uh, all wrapped into one, and I'm sure there was other things. And with all of that, even though I didn't have family, even though I wasn't married, even though I didn't have kids, I got to a point where I was just burned out. And I think I got about halfway through my fall semester, and I called my mentor, my disciple, Justin, and I said, Justin, we have to meet. And we sat on couches opposite each other, and I said, dude, I'm burnt out. I can't do all this anymore. And not only can't I do it, I don't want to do this anymore. I was at that place. Perhaps you've been there. And Justin was so gracious. He said, you know what we're going to do, Matt? And perhaps some of you need to put this into practice today. He said, I want you to write down, make a big list of every single thing you're doing right now. He said, what we're going to do after you make that list is we're going to take a pen. Don't use pencil. We're going to take a pen. And we are going to cross out everything that is not necessary. You see, just like Martha, I was trying to do it all when all that is necessary is how many things, church? One. One, according to Jesus, right? So church, if you look at Martha this morning and you see a lot of yourself as I see a lot of myself in her, let me just encourage you, don't be discouraged Don't get down on yourself. God created you with those gifts, with those bents, the way you are for a reason. So don't get down on yourself. I believe there's a lot of good in you and and God's going to use you in great ways and, and Jesus believes that about you too. But if you identify more with Martha, it would be ignorant of us to not take a moment and pay some attention to our sister, right? Martha's sister's name was? Mary. So number two, we don't just need to look at Martha this morning. We need to learn from Mary. We need to learn from Mary. And this time, you might write down the follow-up questions. What did Mary understand that I need to understand? Or maybe more specifically, what did Mary understand about Jesus that I need to understand about Jesus? So I want to start with this. If we go back to the text and we go to verse 39... Literally answer me, where do we find Jesus? Or where do we find Jesus? Where do we find Mary? Where is she? At his, she's at his feet, right? Now, if you and I were to go back in that time and place, we were to ask Martha, Martha, where's Mary? She'd probably go, not where she should be, right? And she wouldn't be far off. Based off of the societal and cultural norms of that day, Martha wouldn't be off base in that response. You see, Martha was in the proper place for women, Mary, according to commentator Grant Osborne, is doing what only male disciples are supposed to do. And Osborne goes on to say this, to her, that being Martha, and most Jews, Mary's true place is alongside Martha in the kitchen, not at Jesus' feet. And so what does this mean? What it means is that Mary understood something. Mary understood something that I'm afraid I have to relearn over and over and over again. And again, it's very simple truth. It's three words. Jesus is different. Jesus is different. It's a truth that I continually need to relearn about Jesus that he doesn't react in the way that I expect him to react. He doesn't act in the way I expect him to react. He doesn't respond in the way I expect him to respond. Jesus is different, and he shows this all throughout Scripture. I mean, just consider a few examples from the Gospels, right? He he always is different in a variety of ways to a variety of people. Just you might jot down Matthew chapter 8. Because in Matthew chapter 8, when he's approached by a leper in front of a large crowd, and the last thing that he should do is get touched by that leper or touch that leper, he doesn't back away. He moves towards the leper, he touches the leper, and he heals the leper. That's just one example, but consider Mark chapter 3. Jesus doesn't rest in Mark chapter 3 from doing good on the Sabbath. Instead, in a temple, he heals the withered hand of a man in the temple in the presence of many Pharisees. But not just those. Consider John chapter 8. He doesn't cast a stone at the woman caught in adultery. Instead, he forgives her and he releases her and frees her from her accusers and from her own condemnation. Jesus is different, amen? Amen. And we see it here again in Luke chapter 10. And Mary understood it. She understood that Jesus was different. And so she takes the place that is reserved for men and she sits at the feet of Jesus like a disciple. And she listens to his teaching. And Jesus allows it. Because she knew Jesus was different. Do you know Jesus is different? Now, thinking about her being at the feet of Jesus, this leads us to the second thing that you and I need to learn from Mary this morning. You see, typically in the Gospels, when we see people at Jesus' feet, they're not there because they've chosen to be there. They're not there because it's been their top priority to be there. Instead, as is often the case for many of us, they're at Jesus' feet because life's circumstances have brought them to Jesus' feet. I'm sure you've been there in your life as you've walked with Jesus and you've lived life as well. In fact, if you were to simply just page back to two chapters of the Bible, if you were to go to Luke chapter 8, you would find there, you'd find a man at Jesus' feet in verses 26 to 39, but he's not there to listen to Jesus, Jesus' teaching. Instead, he's there to literally be freed from a demon that has possessed him all of his life. If you were to page just a little bit further from there and go to verses 40 to 56, you'd find two more people at Jesus' feet. You'd find a a, a synagogue ruler named Jairus, and he's at Jesus' feet and begging for Jesus to come to his house. Do you know why he's begging for Jesus to come to his house? Because his 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. And in that same scene, you'd find a woman who's trembling with fear at Jesus' feet, Because she has done what Levitical law had prohibited. As a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had touched Jesus and she had received the healing that only Jesus could provide to her. You see, church, we all know that sometimes life leaves us with only one option. And students, graduates, as you leave this place, there will be times when life will get hard, circumstances will be tough, And you go, where else do I go? To the feet of Jesus. But what we learn from Mary today is that that option should actually always be our first choice. Amen? That last option, that last resort that we always say, well, I guess I'll go to Jesus' feet now, should actually be our first choice. Because it's at the feet of Jesus that we find the one necessary thing. And it's the last thing that we need to do today. It's where we listen to Jesus. And I want us to actually do that. I want us to go back to this text. I want us to go back to verses 41 and 42. And I actually want us to hear Jesus' words as he responds to Martha in her very harried state, you might remember. It says, but the Lord answered her, Martha. Martha. You are anxious and you are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So this morning in this text, when we literally listen to Jesus here in 41 and 42, what do we hear? What do we gather from him, from sitting at his feet and from listening? Well, first we have to acknowledge that he simply affirms Mary's choice, doesn't he? He affirms her choice to sit at his feet and to listen to him. And he clearly affirms his choice, but not only calling it the one necessary thing, but he says it's also the good portion which will not be taken away from her. If you want to have a little fun, go to Bible Gateway and type in good portion. And you'll see it pop up in the Psalms quite a bit. It'll give you some context. But do you know what's really fascinating? We don't just see Jesus, God the Son, affirming this choice. In fact, if you were again, just a page back, probably one page in your Bible, go back one chapter, go to chapter 9. We're not going to read anything there, but if you were to just peruse chapter 9, you're going to come across this section of text called the transfiguration. And what you're going to see is that God the Son doesn't just affirm Mary's choice, but God the Father also affirms Mary's choice. What happens in the transfiguration is Jesus takes three of his closest disciples and he takes them up on this mountain, Peter, James, and John. And what happens there is what Luke writes in verse 32, in verse 29, he says, the appearance of Jesus' face altered and his clothes became dazzling white. It was a moment in which these three disciples not only saw Jesus, but they saw Moses, they saw Elijah. But as they saw Jesus, Luke writes in verse 32, that they saw his glory. And as they're seeing this incredible sight, as they're experiencing what is this heavenly experience, all of a sudden, something crazy happens. This physical cloud descends upon them and envelops them. And the disciples, it says, get terrified. They're scared. And it gets worse. It gets more terrifying because all of a sudden, a voice comes out of the cloud. Has anybody ever had that experience? (laughs) Me neither. And this voice comes out of the cloud, and we find out that it's God the Father. And he says one statement as he's on this mountain, as Jesus is being transfigured, he says one statement. And it just astounds me that of all the things God the Father could have said in that moment, all the directions he could have given to those disciples, this is what he says. He says, this is my son, my chosen one. And then he gives a command. Do you know what the command is? Anybody? Listen. Listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. It always astounded me. God the Father doesn't go, hey, disciples, this is my son, my chosen one, serve him. This is my son, my chosen one, worship him. This is my son, my chosen one, lay down your life for him. Listen. Because out of listening, all those other things come, right? God the Father affirms it. Jesus affirms it. You know, it's interesting as well as God the Father tells those disciples and tells us to listen to his son under the English there. I can do a little Greek too, okay? Google's helpful. Is this Greek verb called akouo. Can you say that with me? Akouo. Did I do okay, Andy? Thanks. All right. And you will find in our text today, verse 39, where it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching is the very same Verb. a chapter later. God the Father has commanded Jesus' closest disciples to listen. And there we find Mary listening at Jesus' feet, doing the one thing that is necessary. in church and graduates, if you don't hear anything, hear this. Here's what I'm convinced of, that if lifelong connection with Jesus Christ is desired, lifelong listening to Jesus Christ is required. If lifelong connection with Jesus Christ is desire, lifelong listening to him is absolutely required. Amen? Jesus affirms it. God the Father affirms it. And just to give you a little bit of a story, <clears throat> a little old Colombian man also affirms this, okay? You're thinking, what? Well, back in 2010, summer of 2010, I took a month-long mission trip. And you can see some pictures, I believe, up on the screen here. I was doing some orphanage ministry in the country of Colombia. We're down in the little city of Laetitia. And if you were to look on a map, it's the very, very southernmost tip of Colombia. In fact, I could walk right in down the road into Brazil. That's how that's how south it is. And while we were there, I was doing some orphanage ministry, and I stayed in a humble hotel uh, just down the road from the orphanage. And when I mean humble, it's humble. All right? This is not the Marriott. It's not Holiday Inn. It's none of that. Okay? And I have my own little shanty that I lived in, and it was owned and ran by a couple of those, probably in their late 60s, their early 70s. And the woman, the wife, her father was still alive and still living with them. And he was in his mid-90s. And I couldn't tell you his name, but he's a sweet old man. And every day that I would get up and get ready to go to the orphanage, I would leave the hotel, and I would uh, exit the main doors of the hotel, and out on their little porch in front, this old old man would be sitting there every single day, and of course, I'd open the door and I'd go Buenos dias. He'd look at me and go Buenos dias in his sweet little voice. And every day, when I walked out there and I said good morning, I noticed something in his lap every day. And as I looked at this thing in his lap, I noticed that this Bible that he was reading every single day was very furled on the corners had stains all over it, had highlight marks of almost the entire page of every book of of the Bible, notes in the margin. It was just full of his time spent at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. And I'll never forget, at the end of our time, he joined us for a lunch. And I just had to ask him, because I saw him every day reading the Bible. I said, how many times have you read the Bible cover to cover? And he just smiled. His little ninety-five-year-old smile, and he goes, Vente siete veces, twenty-seven times, cover to cover," and he was working on number twenty-eight. And I love that. He never tired of sitting at Jesus' feet and receiving his word and listening to his word. Why? Because he knew it was the one thing. He knew it was most necessary in his life. If anything else was gonna be done, we just saw John fifteen five. if we are going to do anything, we must abide in the vine, amen? It has to happen. He knew it, Jesus knew it, and God the Father knew it. They affirmed Mary's listening to Jesus. And as we close, I want to close our time by just observing one more thing, though. It is super important that we don't just notice in our listening to Jesus that he affirms that that we must sit at his feet and we must listen to his teaching. But I want us to look one more time at verse 41, if you would. Jesus responds to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. And I love Osborne's explanation of this verse. He says the double use of her name, Martha, Martha, is not rebuke, but affection as he corrects her. It is not rebuke, but it is affection as he responds and corrects her. And church, as a very strong Martha... I need to hear this. I need to know that when I have my Martha moments, and I have plenty of them, okay? When I have my Martha moments, I need to know more than anything. And graduates, you need to know this as well. As you leave and you walk with Jesus and attempt to walk with Jesus for a lifetime, and you have those moments that are hard and they're harried and you don't respond to the people around you in a loving way and you don't react to Jesus very well in those moments, what I need to know, what you need to know, what we all need to know is that his affection is there to meet us right where we're at. Just when I think Jesus is going to now put me in my place because of how I reacted to my wife or how I reacted to my kids or man, how I reacted to him, his affection meets me right where I'm at. He doesn't seek to put me in my place. And do you know why? Hebrews 4.15 is really clear. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, receive that church. But we have one who in every, everybody say every, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Amen? So friends, our Savior, our Lord, our King, Jesus wants more than anything from everybody in this room, whether you're a graduate or not, it doesn't matter who you are. He wants more than anything for us to sit at his feet and <clears throat> to listen to his teaching and simply be with him for a lifetime. That's what he desires most of all. But we're all going to rest assured. I want you to leave resting assured today that when you fall short, and I say when because you will and I will, amen? When you fall short, remember that God's grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in your weakness. And he will meet you with his affection, just like he did with Martha. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I'm always astounded, astounded by your word. It always takes me back, and I'm always shocked by how you are and how I expect you to be and the major difference there. And God, it's clear to us today in your word that you desire one thing from us, We could come up with a list of things to do for you, but what you simply want from your children is you want them to come and to sit at your feet and to listen to your voice. Because as we do that one thing, you're going to do many things through us. And so, Lord, may we come in a humble position, knowing, Jesus, that you are different and that you will sympathize with us in our weaknesses, that you will receive us just as we are and you will allow us to do the one thing you call necessary. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.